Welcome to the Sam Dean Podcast, where we talk about life uncensored. Today we have Max Callahan, administrator, teacher, Canton ISD. He taught for 40 years, and now he's retired, and for the past 31 years, he's been on a quest to see all the national parks of the United States of America at 63. He has one more to go, America Samoa. I hope you enjoy this show as much as I did. We're sponsored by Van Zant Coffee. You can order online, www.vanzantcoffee.com. Thank you, guys. All right. Mr. Callahan, how are you doing? Sam, I am doing fantastic. All right. Yeah, I think our audio is working. Um, thank you for coming in and doing this today. I haven't had a show in, I feel like, six months, and uh, this is a podcast, and uh, it's on Apple Music, Spotify, all of these things, and I started this because uh, I just wanted to inter- interesting people I want to interview about things, people from my past, I don't know, I've, I've probably done 20 or some odd shows, and uh, just want to have a conversation. Good. And um, anyway... Mr. Max Callahan was my uh, principal in junior high, I believe, and then in also in high school. But you were a teacher before that. That's correct. Uh, I uh, <clears throat> I spent forty years uh, at, in the school system here in Canton. Uh, taught for twelve years at the junior high, and then upon the retirement of uh, J.L. Hurd, I took his place and was principal on that campus for 15 years. And in 2000, uh, I was approached about going to the high school as principal and uh, decided that I was ready for a different challenge. And so uh, I went to the high school, spent eight years as the uh, principal there. Uh, And then 2008, uh, after 23 years of administration, um, I decided that uh, uh, it was time to uh, really enjoy the last years of my career. And so I asked uh, if I could go back to the classroom Mm -hmm. and spend uh, what amounted to the last five years uh, teaching uh, eighth grade history back on the junior high campus. And if I'm quite honest uh, with myself, uh, that was probably the best decision I ever made career-wise. I thoroughly enjoyed those last five years. Yeah. Uh, in, in education, uh, the classroom is where it's at. Uh, you know, just getting the chance to uh, interact with kids, uh, to teach them something that uh, is very important, in my opinion. Uh, to build relationships, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to build trust uh, and everything. So, uh, yes, I spent 40 years here in Canton uh, in, you know, various capacities. Why, why do teachers, some people, why do they want to go the administration route other than you get paid more? Well, uh, in my case, I, I can only speak for myself, um, I, I wanted the chance to... Um, to to build something, uh, 
mm-hmm. um, to uh, add programs and to influence the um, the educational environment, the, the, just the climate of uh, what a campus uh, could be. <clears throat> so it was a challenge for me, and that's uh, that's the reason that um, I did that. Uh, I thoroughly believe that uh, I was supposed to do that. Uh, I did miss the classroom a whole lot. Uh, and, of course, that's the reason that at the end of my career I, I wanted to go back. But uh, just being able to... Um, to to mold a campus and to uh, put it in a position for uh, further success is the reason that that uh, I did that. Mr. Hurd has been a tremendous influence uh, to me. Mm-hmm. I uh, owe him so much uh, as far as my career is concerned, and he um, uh, he kind of led me to that point. Uh, being able to take over the campus when he uh, retired. And uh, again, it was just a challenge for me, and, and I like challenges. You grew up in Canton. Correct. Where did you, where were you, where did you grow up at? Where? Um, my uh, dad uh, was a dairy farmer uh, out on what is now 3227 uh-huh. uh, off of 198. Uh, he had uh, purchased about 160 acres out there. Um, I think it was 1949, and uh, he cleared it. Uh, originally, was he farmed cotton out there, uh, and then eventually went into the dairy business. Uh, where, so where at on 32? So you go down 198, take a ride on 3227. Yes, that's correct. Where, whereabouts was the dairy farm? Um. <coughs> Do you know where uh, Justin and Torji Wyckoff yep. live? Uh-huh. Okay, just uh, a quarter of a mile past their house on the left. That was the dairy farm. Yes. Mm-hmm. What's your and you were born and raised right there. Um, yes, uh, I, was, I was born in Grand Saline. Uh, At the hospital in Grand Saline. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, <laughs> most of the uh, folks my age. Yeah. Uh, that were born here in Van Zandt County were born in Grand Saline at that hospital. Uh, but, uh, yes, uh, that that's that was my original home uh, yeah. out there. Uh, and it stayed in the family until um, the late, uh, uh, well, I guess the mid-1980s when my dad got very sick and he couldn't take care of it anymore. And so uh, it, we sold it to... Uh, Donald, Donald, Donald E. Key uh-huh. uh, at that time. What was your first memory? What's your first memory of being alive? You know, <clears throat> um, my first memory, uh, I guess, um, was when my sister was born. She's a couple of years younger, two and a half years younger than me. And I remember my maternal grandparents taking me to the hospital in Grand Saline to see my little sister. And that is the earliest memory that I have. Wow. Yeah. It's hard to, <laughs> if you really sit, you have to think about it. You know, that's a, that's a tough question. <laughs> I don't know where I came up with that. But, um, 
So what did? How long did you live out on thirty two twenty seven? Well, um, when I graduated high school in sixty nine, uh, I stayed at home uh, for a couple of years uh, and commuted to TJC mm-hmm. with a bunch of uh, my friends. And then uh, when I uh, got my associate's degree from TJC, I went to East Texas State, now A&M Commerce, and lived up there. Um, I um, came back home briefly when I was hired here, uh, uh, stayed you know, at my parents' house oh, for, I guess, about three months or so. Uh, and then I, I bought a small house here in Canton. And so, you know, I was out there for all of my growing up years. In 1969, when you graduated, mm-hmm. who who was in your class? Um, Keith Tucker, uh-huh. uh, David Norman, uh, Martha Lynn Hurd, Jerry Tidwell, Wynette Roberts, Diane Burns, Brenda Burns, Philip Burns. Uh, David Wilkerson, David yeah. McWilliams. I, you know, yeah. there. I think there were about sixty-two or three of us that graduated in in '69. And most most of y'all, uh, I mean, Coach Tucker, and I know Lynette Roberts. Um, somebody I interviewed, I can't remember, graduated with you in your class. It wasn't. So my, I think my dad graduated. Was he? One year older than you. He was at least, at least two years. At least two years. At least two. And then uh, Virgil Melton was probably three. Yes. Yes. Maybe three years. Uh, he's three or four. It's amazing how everything kind of runs together after a <laughs> length of time. Uh, Who was your favorite teacher? Well, I I I loved school. Mm-hmm. And to be quite honest with you, I loved all my teachers. <clears throat> uh, but there were two that stood out in my mind. And I think there were great influences on me uh, going into education. One was Imogene Wolverton. Uh, Mrs. Wolverton was absolutely uh, the most interesting teacher. She, she taught Texas history in seventh grade. And uh, she could just spin those stories, and I'd sit there on the edge of my seat just, you know, uh, soaking up all of the the facts about Texas history and the stories that she'd accumulated over the years. Uh, And, and, you know, she'd have to be right up there at the top of my list. And uh, right beside her would be uh, Alma Shamley. Uh, I had her for two years of high school English, I think sophomore and senior. And uh, Mrs. Shamley was so professional, so kind, so sweet, so encouraging, uh, and I, I loved being in her classroom as well. So of, uh, of all the teachers that I had, those two really inspired me uh, the most. What's your favorite story about Texas history? Why do you... Uh, well... <laughs> One thing that just really uh, has stayed in the back of my mind, uh, Mrs. Wolverton, Wolverton had uh, uh, nicknames for a lot of the uh, characters in uh, in the story of Texas history. And uh, Santa Ana, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, she always called him uh, Santi Annie, that old goat. And uh, so, uh, I don't know, anytime that I hear uh, anything about Santa Anna, that comes to my mind. <clears throat> you know, the, the class always laughed every time she referred to him, but Santi Annie, that old goat, yeah. uh, you know, she, she just painted a picture uh, in our minds of what this uh, notorious guy from Mexico had done to the uh, citizens of, yeah. of Texas. I love Texas history, too. Uh, I think Norm Wright was, when I was in junior high, and you were, he was the coach, and he, uh-huh. he taught the Texas history. <clears throat> My grandmother, uh, Ruth uh, Dean, her maiden name was Travis. Travis. Mm-hmm. I kind of grew up thinking I was related to William Travis. Uh-huh. I'm not sure I am. <laughs> I don't think I am, but he had red hair. And so, I, and I think someone told me that anyway, I was, so I was enthralled by the Alamo and yeah. I still am. I, I've read, you know, books, all the books that come out about it. And, uh, we've been, Ashley and I've been to the Alamo San Jacinto, uh, mm-hmm. the last couple of years, which I love. I love that monument down in Houston, yeah. even though it's surrounded by oil, you know, everything's an old tanker around it, but, uh, it is a really cool spot. Santa Ana, though, went on to uh, visit Washington, D.C. a few times. And in one book I read, he, he's credited with the, with the invention of chewing gum. Did you, ever mm. hear, did you ever hear that? Uh, if I heard that, I've forgotten yeah. it. <coughs> uh, I, I've forgotten so much <laughs> over the yeah. years. <laughs> uh. But I love Texas history. And then I got to West Point, and one of my professors... I believe he's for, he was from Michigan. He played football, though, at Cal. But anyway, he told me, he goes, Sam, you know the, the Texas Revolution was was fought over slavery. And I was like, what? No. <laughs> uh, and he kind of burst my bubble with it. And then I had to look back. And sure enough, that was one of the main reasons mm-hmm. that we kind of went in on that, and mm-hmm. which is we don't talk a lot about that. That's right. Um. So you started teaching, and um, you became my principal when I went when I went through, um, and you made a real impact on me. I think of all the the my teachers, I had a bunch of great ones, but you were administrator, but you cared a lot about the students, and I was trying to be the best student I could be to to do what I wanted to do, but I you on a daily basis, you came to me and asked me how I was doing, and, you know, and if you were doing that with me, you were doing that with almost every, you were doing it with every person in under you at the school, and it meant a lot to everybody. Everyone I talked to says Max Callan's the greatest guy. Every, especially people my age um, that were under you, and I just appreciate all that. That was, it was, I mean, it just, I'm, and I, I don't know how to say it, but I just, I love you for that. Well, thank you, Sam. I, yeah. I enjoyed my career. Um, you know, I can't, um, I can't place myself in any other career, you know, in my mind, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> where I would have been as satisfied and content and happy with what I was, what I was doing. And true, I, there were, plenty of other jobs that paid more but uh you know when i when i left uh my career uh 
at the school, which was 10 years ago, uh, I, I, gosh, I, I felt like I was the richest man in, in Canton. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, not because my bank account was the, the biggest. It certainly wasn't. But um, just the relationships that uh, had been forged over the years and uh, the, the friends that, uh, you know, that I have. Uh, it just means the world to me, and uh, it, it it gave me joy. It gave gave me contentment. Uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly. And if if uh, I were uh, graduating high school uh, here in 2023, uh, I'd go into education again. Um, I just can't think of anything that was more satisfying. What? <coughs> Teaching is really, you know, I would think that teaching is a very satisfying career. What are some of the challenges, though, as a teacher in Texas, uh, as far as making that a career challenges? For not to get political or anything yeah. like that, but uh, yeah. what are some of the challenges that you would face going into a career uh, teaching? Okay. Um You, you just have to have a heart f- for it. You, you have to have a heart for kids. Uh, uh, and teaching is hard work if uh, it's done correctly. Uh, I know there are plenty of teachers that uh, <clears throat> enter the profession because they think oh, that's some, just must be something easy to do. If you do it right, it is not easy. Uh, you, you have to be prepared every day that you step in that classroom. Uh, you, you, the teacher has to be the one in control. Somebody's going to be in control in that classroom. And uh, when you analyze that, it's it's either the teacher or the kids. Mm-hmm. And if the kids are in control, um, there, <laughs> there's a problem, and I'm not sure that uh, a whole lot's going to be accomplished. Um, so you, you have to have that mindset that I'm here for a purpose, I'm here to um, to teach something that hopefully you love. Mm-hmm. I was able to do that, um, but you have to you have to create this environment in the classroom where kids want to be there. Uh, a lot of kids don't like school, and that's understandable. It's an, it doesn't. Um, uh, it's just not the most motivating thing for some people. So a good teacher has got to develop a, a style of teaching that uh, is at least going to keep the interest of that student for 45 minutes or an hour, whatever length the class is. And that's a, that's a, real, a real challenge. Mm-hmm. Now, I taught... Uh, social studies and, and history mainly. Uh, so I dealt with a topic that had lots of stories to it. Uh, a good history teacher is going to be a good storyteller. And you're going to take the time to research the the topic and find the tidbits of uh human interest about the characters 
that will intrigue the kids, that will uh, capture their attention. And uh, you make these characters in uh, history uh, human. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> one of my favorite things that I discovered, uh, this was in the last five years of, of, of my career when I was back teaching eighth grade history, uh, the the death of Abraham Lincoln and the funeral procession back to his hometown of Springfield. Of course, Lincoln's body was placed on a train and he went through all the major cities uh, going back to Springfield. And the train followed in reverse order the train route that Lincoln had taken from Springfield to Washington when uh, he was going there for his first inauguration. And so one of the stops was in New York City. And there are pictures of his funeral procession going down one of the major uh, streets, thoroughfares there in New York City. And there's a picture taken of the the procession and there is a multi-storied building probably seven or eight stories and there's a window with two little boys <coughs> sitting there at the window watching the funeral procession go by one of those little boys was teddy roosevelt and <coughs> i love to show that picture to my eighth graders mm-hmm. and you know uh, just uh, to do a little reading between the lines, just using your imagination. You know, kids, what do you think this little boy was thinking as he saw Abraham Lincoln pass by on the street in front of their home? They lived up on this, you know, mm-hmm. fourth or fifth story of the uh, of the building. Uh, and, you know, just to put uh, humanity into the story and how this little boy, <clears throat> excuse me, watched the procession go by and then later he became president of the United States. Uh, and the kids seem to love those kinds of, of uh, instructional, uh, you know, tidbits that, that you could research, find, share with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they love things like that. So, um, you know, it's a challenge for any teacher to keep the interest of his uh, or her s- students. <clears throat> Again, mine was easy because it was history. There were plenty of stories, plenty of people to talk about. But any teacher who wants to succeed has to delve deeper into the topic, okay? Now, how you made uh, algebra equations Interesting. Uh, I, I don't know. I didn't, never uh, had that particular <laughs> challenge. But, um, you know, a good teacher is going to find a way to relate that topic to the kids uh, in some way. That makes a lot of sense. Um, who are some of the top teachers under you? Oh. That you, in, <coughs> your, in your opinion. Okay. And you can't remember everyone. <laughs> I know. Um, you know, th- this Saturday, I'm, I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, Mike Newby, um, 
his memorial service is Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. I've been asked to, to speak. And without going totally into what I'm going to talk about, um, I, I, I refer back to the faculty that I inherited and was able to add to in my years there. And and I'm going to go ahead and apologize because I don't have time to talk about everybody, sure. but, and, and I don't mean to leave anybody out because it... Uh, it was a great faculty, but uh, people like Lewis Young yes. and uh, uh, Tony Ogletree and Jan Malone, uh, Betsy Cannon, Patsy and Mike Chamless, uh, Keith Tucker, um, uh, you know, Linda Sides. Uh, you know, th- th- there were just a lot of them, and I know I've left somebody out. I sure. can't, ev- everybody's not flooding into my mind r- at the moment, but... Um, uh, let me just single out Mr. Young. Okay. Okay. Um, Mr. Young, the kids loved him. And again, it's because he, uh, he invested in them. It wasn't just teaching, reading. But he inspired kids to read. Um, and he was great for Canton. You know, when he was hired here, it was during the time of integration, and um, a lot of uh, a lot of f- feelings that uh, had existed, you know, in the community, not just Canton but all across the South, they had to be broken down. Yeah. Um, and no one did a better job of being able to do that than Mr. Young. <coughs> um, Nobody looked at Lewis Young and thought, he's black. They looked at Lewis Young and thought, that guy loves us. Mm -hmm. That that guy, uh, you know, will get out uh, during the break and play horseshoes with us or referee a dodgeball game uh, with us. Uh, You know, he would would pick out books for kids to read because he, he... he learned their personalities. He learned uh, who they were and what uh, type of book would be good for this student and which one would be good for that student. Uh, again, it's, it's just loving your kids, um, going the extra mile. Yeah. Not, you know, his interest in them wasn't from bell to bell. It extended beyond that and I could say that about numerous other teachers that we had on the campus there. I remember him saying Huckleberry Finn, Huckleberry Finn <laughs> and he had a finger he had yes. that, that straight index finger yes. when he would write I guess he had a rod in that finger um, it had to have been hard for him you know I don't know how many black teachers we've had in Canton over the years not many not many but he was like obviously probably the first uh, yeah and um, was a great asset for you know people, kids like me, and, and hell, everybody growing up mm-hmm. through the. I had Wesley Pruitt on the yeah. podcast. He talked about Mr. Young a lot and how he, you know he was a role model for him. Um, I've also s- talked to Truman Oakley on the podcast, who was a, f- a good teacher in mm-hmm. my. It you know, was a great 
science teacher for me and, and I guess a principal at one point or assistant principal. Um, he talked, we, we asked him uh, about swinging the paddle, about paddle, paddling kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a funny thing. Um, what was your method? I think you gave me licks once, maybe twice. And your your paddle, if I can remember correctly, was a smaller paddle. It had a lanyard, um, and it was more kind of a ping pong style. Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, it was from a uh, from a game, Jakari or something like that, a Jakari paddle. And uh, yeah, I, I wore two or three of those out. <laughs> 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 what, what, I, I don't remember what, why I gave you licks. Yeah. I, all I can well, say is, Sam, you probably deserved it no, at the I, time. No, I, no doubt. <laughs> I've deserved more than that. Uh, but what was your method when you were given licks? What what went through your mind? And I know, you know, I don't think they do that anymore. No, not rarely. But, uh, you know, it worked. It did. Uh, <laughs> and uh, anyway, Truman had a big – Truman had like a kind of a waffle style – Longer handle, uh, I don't know where he got it. I had to listen to the podcast again, but I do remember yours. I kind of had people's paddles memorized. <laughs> <laughs> Who could give the best licks? Because I know you were in there witnessing because you had to have two hmm. people in there. Yeah. Was it any, did any teacher stand out on as far as licks went? Um, maybe Tony Ogletree. I, I never got one of those. <laughs> Thank the Lord, <laughs> Mr. Ogletree. He was a good teacher. Yes, he was. He was great. He had the uh, styrofoam coffee cup, <laughs> and uh, and he would call out the random numbers for the homework that night before. Uh, the random numbers that you had to present that you had to, and then that's what you were graded on. I remember that. What um, what are some traits? teachers that were not so good not so uh effective other than losing control of a class but what what were some bad traits not uh, number one not being prepared yeah and if you're not prepared that's when the discipline problems are going to occur um time management is essential to be successful in almost any job but especially in the classroom um, if you waste time in the classroom, I mean, it's just natural for kids to, you know, get to get restless, to just kind of pick at one another, you know, just, you know, how kids are. Uh, and, and it's, it's before long, it, it will get out of hand. And so knowing what you're going to do when the bell rings and what you're going to be doing when the bell rings to end the class period is very important. If um, if you waste time, you're uh, looking at, at trouble. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, the the number one thing that um, you know aggravated me uh, with a teacher who wasn't effective was just not realizing how important it was to to have a plan to be prepared uh, in presenting that. And, uh, and just not just not giving the kids an opportunity to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then 
you know, every once in a while you'd run into somebody that just really didn't care that much about kids. Those were very few and far between. But, you know, you run across one every once in a while. Maybe teaching for the wrong reasons. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from the outside, you know, I've heard people say, well, teachers only, they, they're there from 8 to 3 and they get the summers off. And, you know, that's not true. No, if it's not. If, if you're if you prepare every day and then there's also training that people, the public really doesn't see a lot of the training that goes on. Um, how do you see Canton going forward with the growth that we're having? Well, <coughs> growth brings changes. And I'm not saying that uh, change is, is bad. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we do have to understand that uh, a lot of people move here with uh, different backgrounds, different cultures even, uh, different ways of looking at life. And in my opinion, they're all welcome. Uh, you know, my question to myself is, what can I learn from them? Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, th there, are, there are changes in education that... Uh, I have a little bit of difficulty with. I, I've actually this year, uh, I've been doing a little subbing at the junior high. I love that age group, and I just decided, you know, I'd like to step back in on a very limited basis and kind of see how things are are going. And uh, you know, I'm very pleased to say that uh, uh, we've got a lot of good leadership and a lot of good teachers there that are continuing the traditions that are characteristically Canton uh, traditions, like good discipline and strong instructional uh, presentations. Uh, the, uh, I guess the hardest thing for me to accept and uh, uh, embrace fully <coughs> is the overwhelming use of technology in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm I don't want to be the ostrich with his head in the sand and uh, think that technology doesn't have a place in the classroom. It, it does. We have to, I mean, the majority of the kids, when they graduate and, you know, whether it be high school, college, or you know, wherever, that most of them are going to be in careers that are heavily influenced by technology. So, mm -hmm. yes, we, we have to be prepared for that. <clears throat> it's been hard for me, uh, just in a sub's capacity, to understand that uh, they don't have textbooks anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, everything's on that computer. And uh, I I used a textbook a whole lot uh, in my classroom. Uh, and again, I tried to bring in lots of other things. It wasn't just, you know, reading a page and, you know, just to read it and cover it. Uh, mm -hmm. But... Uh, to me, a good textbook was um, uh, a good foundation on which to base your instruction. So it's been hard for me to uh, accept that uh, premise. Uh, and again, uh, the way that I did it in my career probably wouldn't be the right way today. But it's change, yeah. and uh, us old-timers have to... Uh, <laughs> kind of understand that's the way it's going to be. Yeah. 
All right. So you've been, how many years have you been retired? Ten. Ten. Yeah, and it it seems like uh, uh, just, you know, last week that that I retired, but it's been ten years. So Catherine Irwin the other day told me that you've been on a quest. This is what I really wanted to talk to you about today. Okay. Even even though I wanted to talk to you about your education, because that's also inspiring, and I love all that but you've been on a quest and this is this is special this is uh you've been on a quest to see all the national parks in the united states yes over what i won't let you talk about where did you come up with the idea when did it start what's the goal etc okay um i guess this started 31 years ago in uh in 92 When my girls were old enough to travel, uh, uh, Marilyn, my wife, and I decided that you know each summer we were going to take road trips. <clears throat> and um, at that point in my life, I think I'd been to three national parks. When I was five years old, my family took a, a vacation trip uh, to Colorado. We rode the train to Colorado, met my by my uncle and aunt who lived up there. Did you get on in Dallas or Mineola? Uh, Mineola, I believe. Mineola, mm-hmm. okay. And uh, anyway, I still remember being on that train. You know, I, uh, you know I'm chasing a rabbit here, yeah, I know. But, it's okay. Uh, you know, I, st- I still have memories of being on that train and how fascinated I was by it. But we got to uh, Denver. My aunt and uncle met us and... Um, they they took us all around. They took us to Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, and, you know, we still have pictures of me climbing on rocks. And I just love that type of thing. Okay, little boys like to climb. And, and uh, I was having a blast. I didn't want to come home. But uh, that was my first national park. And I don't guess I went to another one until... Um, Gee, I guess I was in college. Uh, I went to Great Smoky Mountains and was fascinated by it. And I think I'd been to Hot Springs, so as well. <clears throat> so uh, in in '91 we started traveling, and in '92 um, we we went to Mesa Verde to the Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. and. I was just overwhelmed by those. And so we decided, well, every summer we're going to start trying to find a new national park to go to. We went to Yellowstone and the Tetons then the next summer. And and it was in that time frame, uh, 92 into 93, that um, I really got to thinking, man, these are beautiful, beautiful places, and they have the kinds of things to do that I like to do. And so let's just keep going every summer, adding a few more to it. <clears throat> Somewhere in there, don't know the exact year, but I thought, hey, uh, why, don't, why don't we just try to get to as many of these as we possibly can? And uh, as the years went by and, and the numbers started adding up, I thought, Hey, let's go to all of them. And uh, some of them are very difficult to get to. Um, 
you know, the ones in the contiguous uh, United States, uh, you know, they're manageable uh, for sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, there are two in Hawaii. There are eight in Alaska. Uh, there's one over in the Virgin Islands. Uh, <clears throat> and then the one that's farthest away is uh, in American Samoa. Uh, and to date, uh, there are 63 national parks. And I've been to 62. 62 of the 63. And the only one I lack is American Samoa, which is seems like a very strange place to have a, an American national park. But uh, uh, two weeks from now, uh, on the 24th, uh, Marilyn and I are going to fly to Honolulu, spend the night. Mm -hmm. And then the next uh, day, we'll fly to American Samoa. We'll land in Pongo Pongo, the capital. And we're going to spend a week uh, in American Samoa. So, <clears throat> Lord willing, and the creeks yeah. don't rise, as they say here in East Texas, uh, uh, I will uh, be able to complete that uh, quest to have all of the national parks. And then I will wait for the government to create number 64 and 65 and go. whatever. And, and I hope they do, because uh, I, I want to go to other places. I've been to places in the country that I think, why isn't this a national park? It's yes. uh, it's very worthy of that status. But some of them are state parks that uh, the states just mm -hmm. won't let go of, uh, and I understand that. But uh, <coughs> for for me, uh, it's just a fascinating journey to go and see all of these. I we went to the Grand Canyon this uh, spring break, and I was worried that I wouldn't, I was in my big RV and I was worried that they wouldn't let me in. We were in traffic and, uh, my second, Ashley and I, first John George, ever, first time George has ever seen it. And, uh, not only did they let me in since I was a veteran, they gave me a lifetime free pass to all the national parks. Wonderful. And they also said that for some reason this year, fourth graders, which George will be in fourth grade next year, have free admission to all the national parks, so fourth graders, um, which I thought was amazing. And I got the idea, well, let me see as many as I can this next year. And, you know, we, we've been to Yellowstone and um, Glacier mm -hmm. and, you know, a few other ones. Um, which ones stand out to you? Well, <clears throat> that's a tough, tough question yeah. because uh, they're, they're all unique. Uh, but... I guess the ones, I'm not, I'm not going to give you one. I'm going to give you give a, a few. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yosemite is probably my f favorite. Uh, <clears throat> I've been there three times, and uh, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Half Dome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, my daughters and I have, cli have climbed Half Dome. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's not easy. It is not and there's, easy. There's a cable yes, ladder at the yes, top. Yes. A very intimidating cable yeah. that uh, you have to climb. And uh, uh, I had to really think hard about taking my daughters up that cable. Mm -hmm. But we did it. I wouldn't do it again, <laughs> uh, but uh, I did it, and uh, anyway, that's probably the biggest 
challenge of anything we've done in a national park. But uh, Yosemite is great. The waterfalls are incredible. The hikes are just as beautiful as they can be. Uh, uh, right behind that, in my opinion, is Zion in Utah. Okay. Yep. I love Zion. When when do you go to Zion? We're trying to plan a Zion okay. trip. <clears throat> I've been to Zion four times. I I would I guess I would recommend the early fall. The crowds thin out mm-hmm. then, and you know the only the only bad thing about a lot of national parks today is the overcrowdedness. Yes, uh, they've become so popular and. Again, you want people to go and enjoy those. But uh, sometimes in the summers when families have the opportunity to travel, <clears throat> they get very, very crowded and it diminishes the experience. So as far as Zion is concerned, I've been in September, uh, been at other times of the year, but September was a really good time to go. Uh, crowds have, have thinned out. The weather is more moderate. Um, there's no snow yet. Th- there's there's no snow, and it doesn't snow a lot at Zion. Uh, you know, it, it does in in the winter, but uh, uh, it it is a p- hiker's paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, the hikes are just some of the most beautiful that you'll ever experience, and good climbing uh, trails, Angels Landing. In Zion is <clears throat> a challenge. That that hike, uh, I've been wanting to do it. Gets sketchy when there's ice. Oh, right. Yes. So I, no, I, I would not do it if there's ice. I've climbed. To. I've climbed Angels Landing three times, mm-hmm. and uh, you you just um, you just need to pay attention to detail. Yes. Don't get in a hurry be very deliberate with every step um and you can look you can look up this hike on youtube uh uh-huh. and see it. um it's very you're at the top of the spine of these rocks mm-hmm. and there's a there's a, de- a death fall to both sides yes. there's a cable to hold on to most of the time right? there there are cables in the most uh, precarious places on on the uh, the trail, um, and you definitely will hang on to those. Uh, it's it's very intimidating, but uh, well worth it. Like I say, I've done it three times, and uh, I would I would still do that one. Yes. You know, even at my age, mm-hmm. uh, I, I I could still do that one. How old are you? Uh, I'll be seventy two uh, in July. In front of us here is a we have a, a National Geographic National Parks of the United States map, and you said there's 63. Yes. Total 63 total. Uh, what are some of the other ones? Oh no, Glacier. I love Glacier. Uh-huh. You've been to Glacier. That going to the Sun Road. Yes. Is incredible, and I mean there's there's a spot, several spots there going to the Sun where you can just pull over and I know Marilyn and I. I remember one specific spot we pulled over and, and uh, there's, you know, there are stone walls mm-hmm. that are there. And we just uh, 
sat on one of the stone walls and just looked around at the mountains and there were like seven or eight huge massive waterfalls you know that you could just see and it was the most beautiful sight um some some great hikes uh in glacier as well that one's uh, great um i sp- i also love acadia over in maine mm-hmm. um what's there <coughs> the 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 main thing to me is the rocky shoreline um and it, it is very hard to describe but uh you can climb around on those rocks uh the waves come crashing uh you know up uh, against them um there's a there's one place there called Thunder Hole that uh when the tide is just right it'll come in and go into this uh, this hole in the rock and make a sound just like thunder wow it's a it, it's it's one of our favorite uh, parks um and each one has its own features um a couple of them that I'll mention to you that uh, were a challenge for me. Uh, Marilyn and I had done six of the eight mm-hmm. national parks in Alaska, uh, all having their own distinct um, characteristics. But the two that are the most difficult are Gates of the Arctic and Kobuk Valley. They're both north of the Arctic Circle. Mm-hmm. And they're not uh they're totally wilderness parks there are no facilities there are no roads leading in and very very few people get to those two um i had plans uh, to go in uh, 2020 to see those covid wiped that trip Mm -hmm. out uh totally but i got to do it in 21 and most of the parks that i go to i do all my own planning but in this situation, I needed help. Uh, again, you can't you can't get in there without help. So I booked with a uh, outfitter uh, in Alaska, uh, Alaska Arctic Adventures, uh, <clears throat> and so I was a group of twelve customers. I didn't know any of them mm-hmm. uh, prior to the trip, and two guides. The two guides were. Two very beautiful young thirty-year-old females that uh, were as tough as boots. They knew what they were doing, yeah. and so uh, in summer of twenty-one, two years ago, uh, I made my way to Fairbanks, and there we met up. And uh, anyway, they flew us over to a little uh, village called Battles. Uh, and there we transferred into float planes, and uh, they dropped us off on a little lake mm-hmm. there in Gates of the Arctic National Park. And we portaged all of our gear over to the uh, No Attack River, and then we spent the next uh, week paddling the No Attack. We paddled mm, about 70 miles, I guess, wow. stopping each night to camp, and some days we just spent hiking. Others, we we'd usually try to average about 15 miles a day on the water. Uh, anyway, that was an experience that I'd never had the privilege of doing before. 
And then a bush plane picked us up and took us over to Kobuk Valley National Park, which is not too far away. The main features there are sand dunes. Mm -hmm. You don't think about Alaska uh, having sand dunes, but uh, some of the largest, most beautiful sand dunes. We spent a couple of days hiking in the sand dunes. It was obviously summertime. Yes. Uh, Mm -hmm. What was the bear situation up there? Uh, I saw a couple of grizzly bears, Mm -hmm. uh, not up close and personal, but one, uh, one place that we stopped to set up camp. I pitched my tent and got to walking around, and uh, it was, you know, there by the river. And as I walked over to a little muddy area, I looked down, and there were bear uh, tracks, tracks mm-hmm. right there within about 30 feet of where I'd pitched my tent. Thank goodness <laughs> I didn't see him. But, um, you know, uh, as long as you're careful and... and uh, Do you have bear spray yes. on, y- on your belt? Uh, uh, the guides had it. Okay. The guides had to carry it, so they, we were prepared. When you w- say I wanted to go to a, a national park, what what as far as planning goes? I'm, we're hikers. We we hike a lot. Good. We can we can hike the. We we want to be very active. What are some of the things you do when you are planning to go to a national park? Uh, as, as far as you know, what hikes to do? What yeah. You know, well, uh, you just do your research. Uh, <coughs> you find out, uh, you know, you, uh, I use uh, All Trails, which yep. is a, a good app. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just, I also just, uh, I'll get on YouTube and uh, find trails in specific parks. And, uh, you know, ju- I, I, I will watch the videos. And you know, I'll determine if this is something that I'd like to do. Uh, you research whether or not uh, those require permits. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them do. Yeah. Some A- of them Angels don't. Angels Landing does. Yes. yes. And, and uh, the three times I've done it, they didn't have a permit system. Uh-huh. You could just do it. Uh, <clears throat> one of them in. Uh, uh, Zion is called the subway, and you have to enter a lottery. It's not just a permit, it's a lottery. Uh, they only like let 60 people a day do this uh, this hike. And uh, so you have to be lucky as well, but uh, uh, that's another reason for going in a period of the year that's not as crowded. You have a little bit better chance of winning the lottery to yep. specific uh hikes but uh, I've done that subway twice once by myself and once with my oldest daughter Lauren and as far as beauty is concerned I don't think I've ever been on a trail as beautiful as the subway but back to your original question you you just do your homework uh, plan you know I know folks that and this works for them I guess it wasn't for me they just go on the spur of the moment, and sometimes they get there and they can't get in because uh, they just hadn't planned. Mm-hmm. They just think they can go and and just do anything they want to, and that's not the case. Uh, so plan well in advance. Uh, do your homework. Uh, decide what's what would be the greatest experience uh, for you and your family. And your abilities at that time. Did you, 
have the wherewithal or or no or did they even do it 31 years ago did you have this do you have the stamp i i did not start yeah. that I, I i didn't do it uh and you know i kind of wish maybe i had done that from the start but i didn't and uh so I just have pictures. Yeah. So I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't have one either. I need to get one. But there's a National Parks Passport mm-hmm. book where everyone has its own unique stamp, and they'll stamp yep. your, their stamp, stamp your yep. book. So I guess you could have 63 stamps, uh, which would be kind of a memento, I guess, yeah. other than all your photos. Um, thank you for coming in today. I've enjoyed it. Oh, thank you for asking, Sam. Uh, uh, the but real, I want to. We didn't really talk about it much, but Coach Newby, this yeah. is Memorial is Saturday yes. at the junior high uh, football field, which was the high school field. Mm-hmm. He was my first real football coach, and uh, you know he had all the nicknames for me: Shotgun Sam. <laughs> um, he'd always say, "I'd rather be dead than red on the head." <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, one time we were out there at practice, and of course. He, you know, somebody told me, Tanner Lynn told me, he said that uh, he spoke to them and said, guys, this is going to be the hard, hottest and hardest thing you've ever done up until this point. <laughs> and he had the little PVC pipe on the fence with the holes in it. That's where we drank water. Uh, and they would spray out these little <laughs> streams. But, you know, other than the small brown stickers that you'd get in your hands on the field, uh, one time he's out there and he was, lecturing he was yelling at us or something he didn't you know he had his own way of talking sure he would, you know saying something <laughs> flat back z in the knees head up that's how you get in a three-point stance he came up with that's what he always said but the trash can the trash truck drove by and it was playing john mellencamp uh, <laughs> uh jack and diane yeah and it you know there's a part in the song where it's like so anyway in that part he stopped what he was saying and he held up an air guitar and went <laughs> it just came and it went back like nothing happened went back to you know and I'll never forget that I just but he was a, he was a good guy he sure was he, <laughs> he I enjoyed him tremendously and and talking to Pat Sproul the other day about him Pat said I don't know you know what it takes to really get into heaven and there's going to be some people that that show up probably at the gates and thought they were getting in and not probably not going to get in but he said mike newby if anybody's getting in it's going to be going to be him yeah <laughs> you know? yes he was such a great great guy and missed by a lot of people and i'm expecting they're going to have a huge turnout saturday I and would, you're and you're speaking uh yeah one of several i think thank you so much for coming in and uh well, Sam, <clears throat> thank you very much for asking me. Uh, I have many fond memories of you uh, as a student. And uh, on our coffee table at home is the book that you gave me when you graduated from high school. It's still there on our coffee table. Uh, we uh, enjoy that. It's a, it's a great memory for me. Well, thank you. And that's you're one of the reasons I got into that place. So thank you so much. And uh I want to hear about the American Samoa trip okay. when you get back. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you, buddy. All right.